Welcome to Harvest. My name is Pastor Micah. So glad you're here worshiping with us today. Man, I love that song. Um, I told Nathaniel last week after we sang um, Worthy Be Worthy Is Your Name, I was like, I think that's my new favorite song. He's like, well, we're doing Nobody Like You next week. I was like, never mind. I'll change again next week because like, that's my favorite song. Can we give a hand for Jack? Did he already run off? Jack's filling in on drums for us today. Uh, Jonathan is out of town, so he came over and helped us out. We're so thankful to have him here uh, helping us worship the Lord and lift high the name of Jesus. So now we want to continue to worship the Lord through the study of his word. So grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Acts chapter 9 and uh, going to be looking again at Saul's story here. We picked up a little bit of Saul's story last week and his conversion. We're going to see that continue now and see what happens to him after he comes to Jesus. Um, so actually, if you need a Bible, there's some hardback black ones somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and use that um, to follow along with us today as well as we look at faith that is confirmed. Um, so as Chris said earlier, we're coming up on Christmas. We are only 10 days away till Christmas. Nobody have a heart attack, but I'm excited about that, right? Like we love Christmas at our house, my favorite time of the year. I have tons of great Christmas memories um, from my years of growing up in my family and then in our family now as we've started to create memories with our girls. You know, Christmas is just full of all of that. Um, but occasionally, occasionally there's that Christmas that you kind of wish you could forget. Anybody have a couple of those in your memory banks, right? Uh, maybe, you know, it was the year that you were away from family, you were at college, or you were deployed, or you were away on business, or whatever, you couldn't be with family that season, or maybe it was, maybe you lost a job, or somebody did, and money was a little bit tight, and the gifts weren't quite what you hoped they had be, they would be that year, or um, maybe you happened to get, be just really off on the gift you got your spouse, and it didn't go well, and She's never let you live it down every year since. Just hypothetically, like that might be your story. I don't know if that resonates with anybody here. Um, I remember for us one time, I was, um, we, everything was good. Like Christmas was going good. We had all the presents bought. We had time off work. We were headed to the family's house. going to be a great Christmas. And on the way to my parents' house, um, fluzilla hit my body, right? Like I was down hard. And if you know me, I don't get sick very often. When I do, it's fairly mild most of the time, but not this year, man. It hit hard, hard. And so we get to my parents' house. I'm sick as a dog, like laying on the couch for three days, shaking and chilling and, and not keeping anything down. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it was just, it was a bad, bad news thing. And everybody else, of course, is having fun and playing games and eating all the good food and ignoring the half-dying man on the couch. Um, and so it was just one of those Christmases that you kind of wish you could forget, you know what I'm talking about? But I can't forget it because it's locked in there. And I think the reason God doesn't let us forget things like that is when we don't forget the bad examples or the bad things in the past, it helps us really appreciate the good things now and in the future, right? Like all that bad Christmas helps me remember how good all the other Christmases are. The same thing happens in our Christian life. When you come to Christ, when you finally put your faith in Jesus and, and he starts to change your heart and change your life, he doesn't take away who you were before. He doesn't take away your bad and sordid and sinful past. He leaves it there and uses it as a reminder of how much he's changed you and how good things are now. Okay, we're going to see that in the life of Saul today. And it's that change from what was to what is that confirms that our faith in Jesus really is true. 
So here's the thought I want you to, to focus on today. Jesus confirms my faith, not by erasing my past, but by using it. Jesus confirms my faith in him, not by erasing my past, not by acting like it didn't happen, or, or, but by using it for his good, for his glory, as he changes me into somebody new on the other side of faith. So, Acts chapter 9, pick up in verse 19, part B, it says this. For some days he, that's Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And he has not come here for this pur- I'm sorry, has he not come here for this purpose, but to bring them bound before the chief priests? Here's point number one I want you to see today about Saul's life. Jesus uses my personality for his glory. Jesus uses my personality for his glory. So Saul gets saved, miraculously saved last week, right on the road to Damascus and then afterwards. And after he gets saved, don't miss the very first statement here. It says that Saul was with the disciples in Damascus. He went into fellowship with, he went into communication with, he went into life with other followers of Jesus Christ. We need that to be grounded and walking and strong in our faith. We need to be with other believers in life, talking through God's word, doing life together and walking through in community. That's why we stress to you over and over and over to get in a small group, okay? If you're a regular tender here at Harvest and you're not in a small group, you need that. Saul needed it, we need it. And uh, if you are in a small group, fantastic. Uh, if you're in a small group and maybe attendance has not been as good as it should have been or could have been over the last couple months, that's okay. January 1st, new start, jump right back in, right? Like just, just get back in that small group and keep going strong. Like we need this, okay? Saul needed it. So he hang out with the disciples and it says immediately he proclaimed Jesus. I love this because it shows us that Saul hasn't changed one bit. Not in his personality, Right? Before he came to Jesus, what was his personality? He was zealous for his faith. He was zealous in his Judaism of going and fighting these Christians that were trying to oppose his faith, and he was all out. He was sold out for it. And then he gets saved by Jesus, and he, that, that, that zealousness doesn't go away. God just redirects it. He takes who Saul already was, who, who, who he had made Saul to be. Right? Like This doesn't surprise God. God made Saul just like this. And now he's going to use it to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than oppose it. And it says that immediately he proclaimed Jesus. This is always a great sign of true faith. Is that once you come to Jesus, you want other people to know about him. You want to tell everybody else, like, I got to tell you about this guy who changed my life. Paul immediately, out of the goes and starts sharing his faith in, it says here, in the synagogue, which is kind of ironic, right? The whole purpose he came to Damascus was to go to the synagogue with his letter from the high priest and to start arresting Christians. Now instead, he's going to the synagogue and he's preaching to make more Christians. This is what Jesus does. He's, he changes us and he takes who we already were and he, he takes our personality and he repurposes it for his glory. 
and they're all amazed. And they're like, is this not the man? See, they weren't, they weren't unaware of who Saul was. They knew exactly who this guy was. They knew his past. They knew his reputation. They knew why he came to town. Like, they knew what this guy was supposed to be about. Isn't this the guy who was wrecking havoc in Jerusalem? Isn't this the one who came here to bind the Christians and take them back to Jerusalem to throw them in jail? Isn't this guy who was zealously persecuting Christ and Christians with everything he had? So why is he preaching and proclaiming Jesus now? Why is he zealous for Jesus now? This is the miraculous sign of how God's grace changed Saul's heart and life. Our faith is confirmed in the fruit of how we live it out, and Saul is all in. God didn't erase the past manifestation of Saul's personality when he was persecuting Christians. Saul has to live with that the rest of his life. That was just who he was. But, he, but it is, he leaves it there as a contrast to the new manifestation of how Saul now is all in to make more disciples of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit now is shining through that perfect personality that God has given Saul in order to bring glory to his name. When Jesus saves you, he doesn't want you to change who you are. He made you exactly how he made you on purpose. He just wants you to take that personality, whatever it is for you, and use it for his glory. I'll give you an example. Most of you are probably familiar with the name C.S. Lewis. You guys have heard that probably before. Pretty uh, famous Christian author. Uh, Wrote Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Mere Christianity, a number of other books. Um, But what you may not know about Lewis is that... um, he was not always a follower of Christ. He was actually raised in the church, but there was a time after his childhood that he spent years away from his faith as a determined atheist. Like he was out to prove that God did not exist. It all started back when his mother was diagnosed with cancer and he prayed relentlessly for her to be healed and she wasn't. And she died, I think, when he was like nine years old or something. And that just completely wrecked him, and he couldn't understand how after he prayed incessantly to the Lord that God did not spare her life. And so he's like, well, then I guess that means God doesn't exist. And so he set out on this path toward full-bodied rationalism and atheism, and he was so bothered by the evil and the suffering that he saw in the world, and it did not align with who he thought God was or should be. And so he just determined, well, there must not be a God if this is how the world is. Eventually, obviously, he came back to faith, but the road back to his faith was very cluttered with all of these intellectual obstacles that Lewis thought were impossible to overcome. He, he was a very intelligent man. He had all these, all these predetermined um, things that he had decided were true, and if these are true, then God can't be true, and so therefore, what do I do with that? And his, finally, his conversion back to robust Christianity required this intellectual struggle that came only after he had been convinced that faith was actually reasonable. That faith and reason were not opposites, but they actually went hand in hand. In time, Lewis came to see that evil and suffering, as not as an argument against God, but actually an argument against atheism and an argument for God, because under his understanding of 
the world being senseless and without meaning in atheism, he had no way to deal with pain and suffering. But to see it under God's hand as a, a tool he was using to refine and bring people to himself, all of a sudden it could make sense again. Let me read you this quote from Mere Christianity. Um, he says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. Just, ha- just how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What I was comparing this universe, universe with when I... I'm sorry. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist... In other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found that I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. I could never write something like that. <laughs> like, like, history has shown us that this guy is extremely intelligent, right? He had a robust, beautiful intellect given to him by God that was part of his personality. And that part of his personality was what led him away from God in the first place. But eventually it was the same thing that God used to bring him back to faith. God didn't ask him to give up his intellect. God didn't ask him to change his personality. He didn't try to, he created Lewis to be just like he was. And God used every single part of that to show him the realities of who he was and who God was and how it all fit together. God created each one of us to bring him glory precisely with the personality that he's given you to do it. Did God make you really great with people? Do you just do really well interacting with people? That's great. Instead of using that to sell them whatever it is that's going to make you more money, why don't you use that skill and that personality to leverage those relationships and bring people to Jesus? Did God give you ability to start things and build things and, and like, you know, just really start organizations or companies or be this entrepreneur? Awesome. Then instead of building a business just to build your bank account, why don't we build a business that actually brings glory to God and builds his kingdom instead? Did God give you a creative heart and a creative soul? That's great. Instead of using that just to entertain people or puff yourself up or get yourself on stage, let's use that to show people the beauty of who God is and to draw them to Jesus. God doesn't want you to change who you are. He just wants you to use it for him and for his glory, just like Saul did. How can you use the personality God has given you to make much of Jesus? That's the question. However he's wired you, we're all different and that's great, but however God's wired you, how can you use the personality that God's given you to make much of Jesus in your life? Let's keep reading here in Saul's story. Look at verse 22. It says, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Point number two, Jesus uses my gifting 
for his glory. Not just my personality, Jesus also uses my gifting for his glory. It says here that Saul increased in strength, okay? Not talking about physical strength. He wasn't hitting the gym, right? Like he increased in like spiritual, intellectual strength. That's how Paul was already strong. He'd already proven himself in Judaism to be a strong teacher, a strong preacher. He was an excellent student. He was always smart and hardworking and focused and ran after it. And so God is now taking that gifting that he's given him and he's making it even stronger through the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of Saul. And as he increased in strength, it says he confounded the Jews. He went into the synagogues, he starts teaching and preaching, he confounds, he's, a, he's using, God's using Saul's gifting of teaching and debating and persuasion to, to show that he's with Jesus now, to per, push the mission of the gospel forward. It says right here, he was proving that Jesus was the Christ, okay? Um, uh, hopefully, maybe you've come across this already, but um, Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. Uh, it's actually a title. Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, is basically saying the same thing there. And so the way that the Jews knew a Messiah was coming was they had been studying what we now call the Old Testament for years. And Saul, when he was a Jew, became an expert, in what the Old Testament was. God had given him a gift to understand all the Old Testament scriptures. And now he's using that gift of studying those scriptures for years and years and years to now not disprove Christianity, but actually to prove that Jesus was the Christ. God had already been preparing him for years to do this with his gift. And he was so convincing, I guess, that the Jews started plotting to kill him. They're like, this guy's a problem. We need to get rid of him, which is kind of ironic again, because that's the whole reason he came to Damascus was to kill Christians. And now they're trying to kill him because he is one. But they find out about it. And then notice the statement. It says, but his disciples helped him escape. Not the disciples. His disciples. Saul is already making disciples. How amazing is that? Like the guy just got saved and he's already leading other people to follow Jesus and to be disciples of Christ because Saul was a gifted leader. He was a gifted teacher, both in Judaism originally and now in Christianity. And God's using that same gifting to make disciples of Jesus. So Paul multiplied himself, just like all of us should be doing. If you're a follower of Christ, whatever gifts God has given you, you should be using those gifts to try and multiply more disciples. This is our mission. When I was young, my dad was a pastor, and he had a, a friend who was a pastor um, who felt like God had called him and his family to the mission field in China. And uh, he had a wife, he had two kids. Um, and at that point, China was a closed country, and it was very dangerous. You had to go in kind of like underground to do missionary work there. But he was convinced this is what they were supposed to do. So they prayed about it, and they went, and they served faithfully in China as underground missionaries for like over 20 years um, and just did miraculous things there, and God used them in some mighty ways. But eventually, they kind of retired and came off of the mission field and came back to the United States. And they were only here for a couple years before the missions agency came back to him and said, hey, you did... You did so good in China. Would you mind, uh, we have a real need in northern Iraq. Will you go over into northern Iraq and help us start some churches there? 
And so he agreed. Um, and it was just as dangerous, a closed country just like China, but you also had multiple Muslim groups in the area that were fighting against one another, as well as, obviously, against Christianity. And so it was a pretty dicey situation. But he goes in, he starts sharing the gospel. Sure enough, some guys get saved, and their families start, get saved, and they start this little underground church there in northern Iraq. And he sent a picture back to my dad of him and what he called his first deacons. Um, and they're all standing, there's like five guys, six guys, and they're standing in front of this house, and they're all holding assault rifles, right? Like not your typical deacon picture, right? Like, like all the deacons are lined up holding assault rifles. And um, come to find out, all these guys that had gotten saved, before they got saved, they were gun smugglers. They were arms dealers. They would smuggle guns into the country across the border. And now that they were saved, they took their gifts, they took their abilities that they had had for years, and they started smuggling Bibles into the country with the same smuggling rings and network that they had prior to their salvation. God took that gift, that ability that he had given them, and he flipped it, and he used it for his glory. That's what God wants to do with you. Not smuggle guns, but like use whatever gift God has given you to do more for the kingdom. So what does your gift look like? Again, has he gifted you with numbers? Are you great with numbers? Then fantastic. Use that gifting instead of building your own portfolio and like build something to help the kingdom of God. Has God gifted you to teach and lead? then use that teaching gift to make disciples of Jesus, not just disciples of your business. Has God gifted you with strength and dexterity and are you good with your hands? Fantastic, then use that to help other people around you to God's glory, not just help your employer. All of us have some gifts and abilities that God has given us and he wants to use those for the good of his mission. I've been so encouraged in our church. The last couple months, many of you know we've been walking through this possible adoption situation with the church at Afton, and just praying over that and looking for opportunities there. And, um, and continue, please, continue to pray for us as we do that. The elders are still working through the financials and looking for wisdom and clarity on is this the right move for us or not. Uh, last Sunday night, the prayer service was fantastic. If you missed that, I'm sorry, because you missed it, right? Like, it was fantastic. But um, keep praying for that, because we're still working through that. But as we've been working through, it's been so cool to see how God uses the gifts of his people to help in the process. We had a whole financial team that we put together, people in our church who are just fantastic with numbers, and they've went through years of financial records from the church to figure out how much is it going to cost us to be there and maintenance and utilities and da-da-da-da-da, and they've just gone over and over and over those numbers to do that financial feasibility study. We had a whole team of guys who were really good with construction and renovation and projects, and we walked them through the building. We've had a couple different meetings talking about what would it look like to change this or fix this or change that, and just trying to figure out what, what are we going to have to do to make this work for us. Our elders have been meeting with people incessantly, having meetings and phone calls to try to build relationships and just get communication flowing. And It's God's people, God's family, using the gifts they already have to make much of Jesus in his kingdom. That's what Saul did. That's what God wants us to do. Jesus doesn't want you to abandon your gifts and your abilities that he's given you. He wants you to put them to work for his kingdom. 
You played in that punk band or that rock band back in high school, man? Come on. Like, we can use that. Like, it's all good. We can redeem that for Jesus, okay? Whatever it is it was for you, man, let's, let's do this. How can you use the gifts God has given you to make much of Jesus? That's the question. How can you use the gifts that God's already given you to make much of Jesus? Okay, let's finish the story. Look at verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, (coughs) but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Last thing today is this. Jesus uses my relationships for his glory. Jesus uses my relationships for his glory. Notice here, as Saul has to leave Damascus because his life is in danger, he goes back to Jerusalem. He comes back to the place where it all kind of started for him, right? This was the base of his ministry. He had spent years there studying Judaism. He knew lots of people. He had all kinds of connections, all kinds of relationships in Jerusalem. And when he gets back, he tries to go and join the disciples, the followers of Jesus, right? Um, But it says they were afraid of him because they did not believe him. In other words, He's coming in, trying to trick us, and then he's going to arrest us all. This is not going to go well. Sorry, you're out, right? So they didn't believe Saul was really saved. They, they knew his reputation. They knew the old Saul, right? And that's all they knew up to this point. But Barnabas steps in as a friend, and he declares to them, he vouched for Saul that, no, this guy's legit. He got saved on the road. He's been preaching in Damascus. He's been making disciples. Like, he's all in. And this perfectly aligns with everything else we know about Barnabas, right? All throughout the Bible, we know that Barnabas was an encourager. He was a, he was a, um, somebody who would oftentimes work with people to help them come together and kind of like a, a, a go-between or a liaison for the kingdom of God. And uh, he'll have a major a ministry with Saul uh, here in the next coming chapters of Acts. And so, um, not surprised by this at all. And so he vouches for Saul. They believe him because Barnabas says it. Well, then it's got to be good, like it's Barnabas. So Saul's in, and it says that he went out and among them preaching. So once they saw that Saul's, once they saw his new identity in Christ, not who the old Saul was, but who the new Saul is, then he was all good. He became a full-fledged ministry partner with them, sharing the gospel all throughout the city. And this is like the third or fourth time just in this little cha- half a chapter that we've seen. This, they keep telling us, Saul's sharing the gospel. Saul's preaching Jesus. Saul's preaching the gospel. Like, this is what he was all about because it had literally changed everything inside of him. And that's true for, I think, for, I hope for most of us in this room, if it's not true for you, um, it can be true for you today if you'll put your faith in Jesus. You see, the gospel goes simply like this, that all of us as humans are born with a sin nature, and then we make sinful choices. 
So we have this desire in our heart that wants to pursue our own way and rebel against God and ignore God and do our own thing. And then we just give into that and we run after that. That's our natural bent. And when we do that, when we rebel against God, it separates us. We call that sin. And it separates us from who God is. He's holy and just and he can't be associated with sin. So now we have this big chasm between us and we can't fix it. There's nothing I can do. I can't be good enough. I can't give enough money. I can't go to church enough to get myself back into good graces with God. Somehow that sin has to be dealt with. And so God knew we couldn't fix it. And so to help, he sent his son Jesus to be born in a manger as a baby to a young couple as we celebrate right now at Christmas. And then that little baby grew up. He didn't stay in the manger. You know that, right? Like, you see him all in the pictures, and the little baby is cute. He grew to be a 30-something-year-old man. But he did it different than us. He lived a perfect and sinless life. I can't even fathom what that would be like. But he did it. He went from birth to the end of his life completely free of any sin, completely in communion with God. And at the end of his life, he chose to sacrifice. He chose to give his life for us. And he went to the cross and he died a sinner's death to pay for the wrath of our sin. He took it upon himself as a substitute in our place and he died for our sin and then he went to the grave and three days later he rose back to life to show us that he was God, to prove that he had conquered sin, he had conquered death, and that we could be forgiven if we would put our faith and our trust in him and him alone. He could reunite us with God. He could fix that separation problem if we would repent of our sins, turn to him, and believe. That's what Saul was preaching. It had changed him and people were believing with him and he was making disciples and things were moving because God's grace can overcome anything in your life. Saul experienced that and Saul believed it. And now everybody around him, all of his relationships who knew the old Saul were starting to believe it too because they were seeing a completely different guy. And it says here that he went and he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists. Remember the Hellenists? They were that group of Jews that were against Stephen and tried to stone him and stuff and kill him. And Paul, or Saul was kind of part of that group, right? He probably was hanging out with them a lot because he didn't grow up in Jerusalem either. He grew up in Tarsus. So he was probably a, a Greek-speaking Jew as well. And so this would kind of been his guys, right? This group, the Hellenists, would have known him better than anybody. They would have been closer to Saul than anybody. They would have known exactly who the old Saul was. As he starts preaching the gospel to them and disputing with them, so there's a little bit of argument going on here, Saul didn't throw these relationships away. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to, there's certain relationships we had before Jesus, the pre-Jesus relationships, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, I don't know if I ever want to talk to them again because that's not going to be pleasant, right? Like, they knew the old Micah and the picture they have of who I am, I don't want to ever go back there. Sometimes it's easy for us to ignore and walk away and just, cast off those previous relationships because they know the old us. And we don't want to deal with that. But Saul didn't do that. He went right to him and started telling him, man, you got you to see what's happened in my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. And God doesn't want us to throw our relationships away either. He wants us to use those old relationships 
to point people to Jesus, to let them see the change from who we were to who we are now and tell them why that is. Unfortunately, it doesn't always go well because they started seeking to kill him in Jerusalem too, right? So like now they're after Saul again, um, just like they killed Stephen, which is kind of a good reminder, I think, for us because we just need to be prepared when we go into this. Trying to change pre-Jesus relationships to post-Jesus relationships is kind of difficult and a little sticky and sometimes doesn't go real well. I mean, I don't think you're going to get killed or anything, but I'm just saying like, it might not go always as we plan but it's worth it. If even one person comes to know Jesus, it's worth it. But Saul's life is in danger again, so they pull him out, they take him to Caesarea, and they send him back to Tarsus. Tarsus was his hometown. So again, lots of relationships there that he would have to talk to them about Jesus. Probably a little bit more distance in these relationships. He probably hasn't been to Tarsus in a while because he's been living in Jerusalem and learning and doing ministry there prior to this. But he still has some relationships he can touch on, and they might even be more receptive to listening to the change because it's been a lot of years since they've seen Saul around Tarsus, and, you no, know, yeah, things can change in 10 or 20 years. And so, you know, maybe we can have a conversation with these people, and maybe they'll believe and trust in Jesus as well. So he goes back to use those relationships for God's glory also. Here's the thing with relationships. You know, when you first get saved, um, I think we have all kinds of relationships, right, that are non-believers, right? Because you were an unbeliever and you were hanging out with unbelievers and, and so you got lots of people to talk to and, and hopefully we can share the gospel with them and that can lead to good conversations and they can come to know Jesus and that's fantastic. But the longer you're saved, it seems that we naturally have less and less relationships with lost people, with unbelievers, right? Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't want to harp on that because the more you are following Christ, the more you're doing life with other people who are following Christ and you're growing as a disciple and that's a good thing. So that's not a bad thing at all. But we do have to be a little more intentional about seeking relationships with unbelievers so that we can help point them to Jesus as well. But occasionally, we'll have an opportunity where we get to connect back with the old relationships from 10 or 15 or more years ago. And I think when we have those, it's a good opportunity. I know for me, this past fall, um, we had my 20-year high school reunion uh, no, Micah, you, there's no way. You've been, no, 20 years, that's unbelievable, right? Um, thank you, I know. Um, but I, I was like, this is a good opportunity for me to go back and talk with some people. I didn't want to go, like, no, I mean, you know, it's always, like, awkward, right? Like, going back 20 years, you haven't seen these people. Like, I need to go and, and talk to these people and let them see the change. Because I'm not who I was in high school, for sure. And they need to see this change in my life. And so we went, it was a great day. Uh, got to talk with a lot of people. Didn't get to explicitly share the gospel with any of them, but did get to talk about our ministry and how, you know, what's going on in our life and how God's a part of it and hopefully planted some seeds in those relationships that either they can have a f- later conversation with me or with somebody else that God can use for his glory. But, but it, it was that intentionality of, man, I need to use these relationships that God has given me, these people that I know, to help point them to Christ. That's what God's desire is for us. Old friends, past co-workers, family members, neighbors, they knew the old you. And sometimes that makes that scary. But man, go show them the new you. And let God's Holy Spirit shine through you and be a testament to his grace and his glory and his gospel. 
God can use those old relationships to do magnificent things for his kingdom if you're willing to step into that and, uh, and be used by him in that way. And as they see the change in you, not only does it testify to who Jesus is, but it also gives them hope. Those people you used to run with, that when you had no hope, when you were just grasping at straws and trying to figure out what the meaning of life was and how do I, have, how do I be fulfilled and what do I do, and they're still there. And when they see the hope that you have found in Jesus, it gives them hope that, man, maybe there's something better for me out there too. So the last question is this. How can you use the relationships God has given you to make much of Jesus? How can you use the relationships that God has given you to make much of Jesus? In all these ways, personality, gifting, relationships, all of it, Jesus confirms my faith, not by erasing my past, but by using it. Your past personality, your past gifting, your past relationships, God wants to use all of that to show how awesome he is and what difference he's made in your life. And when he does that, let me close with this. Look at this last verse. Look at verse 31. And as the church walked in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? It multiplied. You see, this is what happens when people truly come to trust and follow Jesus. He confirms their faith by using them to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And the church multiplies and it grows and God's family grows and we all get to be with him for eternity. I'm so blessed to read this here, but I'm even more blessed to be a pastor of a church who gets this and we're running after this and we're seeing God do this right here in our own body. 